What's up, everybody? Metal Dave Glessner here, along with my co-host, Jason McMaster, bringing you another episode of the Talk Louder podcast. Our guest today is Brian Gamboa, who is on the upcoming Mick Mars solo record that drops in February of 2024. Uh, Brian sings lead vocals on two tracks on that album, and he's an accomplished musician and producer in his own right. We get to talk to him a little bit about some of his other accomplishments and a uh, really cool guy, man. I'm glad, uh, Jason, that you were able to pull him into the show. Uh, I always love hearing from people that uh, work so much behind the scenes because we often have people on the show that are very uh, public and you know their face and you know their name. And I love when we get to talk to someone who works a little more behind the scenes because I think they bring a valuable perspective to the show and tell us things about the recording process and the writing process and the music business that we don't often get uh, on, on, you know, from, from some of the other folks that we have on the show. It's easy to <clears throat> just say he's a lifer. And I feel like we, as a show, as, as rock and roll fans, as art fans, as, you know, <clears throat> not just two dudes in mom's basement, kind of guys i feel like there's uh you know it's easy we we attract the lifers uh attract each other and yeah. we were in nashville where brian uh resides and we learned today he's from colorado for the most part yeah but um we were at rock and pod nashville last year and uh, he was he was hanging around and he knows everybody who was playing at the gig, you know, at the pre-party and, and yada, yada. And uh, he was there just, you know, high fiving and everybody anywhere that, that Paul would where Paul was. He was there. Paul Taylor, and I kept yeah. seeing it. Paul Taylor. Yeah. And so anytime that I saw, you know, just any of the, those kind of guys, he was always there. So obviously he's a staple in that scene. And uh, I did meet him and chatted with him in Nashville, but there was never any kind of like, hey, we got to get you on the show because I wasn't versed in who he was entirely at that point. Later on learning, he was involved in making the McMars record. Yeah. As well as he, uh, um, you know, middle of the year, just not long after uh, Rock and Pod last year, we became friends on social media and just kind of stayed in touch that way. Uh, and then, you know, made it easy for me to just reach out and say, Hey, you should come on here and talk about all your stuff. So really, really cool. A uh, lot of background. He's a, he's, he's a, uh, when he was very young, his, his, I want to say it was like his first band, second band, early, you know, high dudes. He was in high school, a high school band with, we're on Star Search. Yeah. Yeah. Which is. Yeah. That was interesting. And, um, and they were called Third Mist. Correct. Third so if you want to see our guest, Brian Gamboa today, B-R-I-O-N-G-A-M-B-O-A, Brian Gamboa, uh, Third Mist. You'll see some old, like, I guess it was early 90s, 90, 91, 92. I think he uh, said that. I think he said 94 by the time it finally okay. came out. But yeah, yeah, you're in the ballpark. Yeah. 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 You can Ed see McMahon our guest. is introducing them. <laughs> it's pretty amazing, man. 
I, yeah, I was doing my homework for the episode and I found one of those clips and I was like, oh my God, man, how many people get to say that Ed McMahon introduced him on national television? So yeah, so it's cool. kind of like, you know, okay, here you go. <laughs> Clean the slate. You go, what do Mick Mars <laughs> and Ed McMahon have in common? <laughs> yeah. And there might be a bunch of things, but I don't know what they are. I know one thing, and that's our guest today, Brian Gamboa on the Talk Louder podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Obviously, we want to get to the Mick Mars album, but uh, let's start from the beginning and sort of maybe lead up to that point. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where'd you grow up and how'd you get hooked on music? I understand your dad was a musician, had a number one single at some point. He was, he was. So my dad was a drummer in a group in the 60s called the Keymen. And they were based in the Southwest, uh, kind of Texas, New Mexico area, Southern California. And so um, it's funny, they were probably best known at the time. Uh, do you remember the uh, the drink, you know, the orange drink Sunkissed, right? Yeah, of course. Uh -huh. So it was called back then, it was called Sunbursted. And they wrote the theme song oh, for wow. that beverage at the time. <laughs> yeah, I'm... I, Wow, that's that's pretty cool. That's nostalgia and cool. I love stuff yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, so money. It's funny. As a drummer, he ended up writing kind of their hit song. It was called "A Kiss in the Dark," and I don't know if you remember Patula Clark had the you know with with Mike Curb started everything with the whistle and the whole bit. Well, there you know the Keymen's whistle earlier than that was very very similar. So. Mm. You know, I don't know if there was a little bit of, oh, somebody heard the key men's and decided to use something like that or whatever, but that's how their song started. Yeah. Did the key men ever do, I'm sorry to interrupt. Did the key men ever do any like national touring or anything or? Um, you know, I think at the time, I think they were pretty regional, honestly, okay. you know, you got to remember kind of small town guys from the Southwest. I don't. You know, my dad to this day, I've explained like the publishing thing to him and, hey, have you tracked all your money? And have you? he's like, what? You know, they didn't know. They right. went into a studio. Yeah. The studio guy knew what he was doing. And oh, the yeah, band I get it. Well, it's yeah. the same. You could say that about CCR and Black Sabbath and it's right? the same. Hey, Ozzy, here's a hundred bucks. And he's like, a hundred bucks? You know, I'm going to get pissed and buy some shoes. No yeah. questions asked. Yeah. I thought I would have made 200. Yeah. <laughs> went out to five million people. Right. So you're you're obviously growing up with music around the house. Um, yeah. When did you first pick up an instrument and uh, and start exploring music on your own? So funny enough, I started drums probably about as long as I can remember, maybe three, four years old. Wow. And I I stuck with it was, you know, it's a gift like that was a gift given. I don't, I don't know how uh, how else to put that, but it came very naturally to me um probably because my dad he would set a metronome at night when i'd go to sleep and you know he kind of encouraged it you know in a cool way he'd set that thing 80 beats per minute and walk out you know or the yeah. next night 20 beats per minute yeah and i remember him doing that for a while but yeah so i started on drums and about seven or eight years old i was like man it's really hard to write a song on drums you know it's not yeah. as easy and my brother had been playing five chords or so. He's a lefty. 
So he had a right-handed guitar. He'd flip, just flip over. And that's how he taught me my first five chords. And it seemed pretty confusing at the time. It didn't really line up with anything. And so eventually I turned that thing over the other way. I was like, oh, this makes way more sense. You know, so. So you play, you play lefty? No, no. You're right-handed. Okay. okay. Only for the first year. Oh, right. (laughs) By accident. (laughs) Right. Right. I got a whole lot better after that first year. Let's step step back and nerd out on, on like, you know, you said something very interesting um, that I, uh, I, I I fully agree with your statement, but there's also, you know, but these these things about how you can't write a, a song or a melody on uh, on a drum kit. Now, people have argued this with me. What do you mean you can't write a song on a drum kit? Right. You know, what would this song or that song be without the drum groove or or whatever? You know, you think about the opening for American band or you know, whatever. I mean, songs, you know, painkiller, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. it goes and goes and goes. You could say that about half of Led Zeppelin's material, but True. I, I can, I can definitely give them this, the drum groove, a, you know, you walk in on your drummer playing some awesome groove. Hey, keep playing that. That's inspiring you to, yeah. to put on something that has strings or keys or, you know, whatever to, to write that, to feel that. You're right. Well, that's legitimate. No, you're right. You're and, right. And, and like AJ Perro from from Twisted Sister, you know, you know, that's who knows if D came up with the riff and the and the hook and everything because it's all hook. We will rock you. All of it. All yeah, of it. It just goes. And, yeah, it goes and goes and goes. But the point is the point. There's no notes on it. And it sounds to me like you wanted to, I mean, arguably, right? I guess Terry Bozio has a thousand piece drum kit. He can tune that to here's an A and here's a G sharp and here's an E flat. And he can tune it. And he's one of those kind of guys, right? Well, trust me, I'm going to have a whole bunch of drummers mad after I said that. I know, a right? Well, that's why I'm kind of. You mean I can't write a song? They're going to be <laughs> mad at me too. They're going to be mad at me too. But this is a legitimate statement I'm about to blow my own mind with when, when I think about it, it's like Charlie Benanti and, and, uh, and Neil Peart, they wrote, the, they write the song, they write lyrics, they write the riffs, they write, those guys wrote songs and they're the drummer. So, True. but they had to pick up a guitar and a pen and a, and come up with cadence and feel and read a lot of books. And, you know, that's kind of where the songwriting thing comes in. It's not just banging on pots and pans. Well, and and here would be my next thing to add to that. Because I started on drums, mm-hmm. I feel like that made me better at every instrument I attacked after that. Yeah. Number I love one, that. I had a clock. Yeah. Yeah. You know, which is key to everything. Yeah. But then as I was, as I had the melody in my hands this way or this way, you know, I could hear the groove behind it, you know? So, yeah, it's, it's an incredibly crucial part of it i just wanted something that had a lot more note value let me put it that way yeah i guess you know yeah. so, you know the metronome when you're going to sleep bless your dad's heart because right? that right. is a heartbeat yes especially when you're pulling it down to 20 or 80 or whatever that's a heartbeat 
my luck, he probably didn't want me to be a musician at all. I'm ADHD. He probably was just trying to calm me down. <laughs> Thank you, Dad. Look how that right? turned out. Right? Yeah. He's like, maybe if I have this thing tick in the background, he'll stop screaming and jumping on his bed, you know? Wow. Do you remember your uh, first public performance? I do. I do, actually. Um, so I was about, well, this is kind of funny. It, it kind of ties with music. Do you mean, do you want to know the one where I was actually playing like an instrument or public performance? Both. <laughs> A little bit of both. Yeah, let's let's hear both. Yeah, so my, my brother and sister, who are almost a decade older than me, were in high school. They were the leads in the musicals and, and stuff like that. Wow. Incredibly. They're both musicians. They're great singers, the whole bit. And uh, I always got to play the kid parts for the high school musicals. So here came little brother, you know, with this deep voice, you know, and, and singing all the kids parts. So probably my first performance, I was probably about seven years old. Far and that was for a big high school, you know, and that happened for years. But musically, uh, the first show I did was when I was 10. And um, it was at a performing arts center in Arvada, Colorado. And I had put together a little band and we actually ended up playing there several times because it was close to the house. But, yeah, that was probably the first time. And we played things like Kiss and Sammy Hagar and. And yeah, so yeah. as you should, yeah, as you should, right? right. Boston, so, things like that. Yeah. yeah. So when you're a kid and you're uh, starting to branch out into music and everything, um, is being part is being on the stage and performing as appealing to you as a kid, or was it just sort of you know it was all about the music and that's just kind of what came next, or was there this pull to be on stage and be a performer as well? So funny enough. I just wanted to be a lead guitarist by that point. By the time I was like early teens, I'm like, I just want to be a lead guitarist. I want to be like awesome. You know, I want to be Eddie Van Halen and these guys. And, and I could never find a singer. I ended up teaching friends of mine around the block how to play bass or just to, you know, hold a couple notes and taught another buddy of mine how to play drums just so we could formulate a band. We could never find a singer. I became a singer by default. And, and, because we didn't have anyone else. Sounds and, familiar. Right? You know, so it, it was like, so the stage is home. I don't know from the moment I stepped on it. I, I'm nervous before I get up. I'm nervous when I get off. But the second my feet hit a stage, I feel like I'm home. And everything calms down. Everything slows down. And, um, but as far as music as a whole, I think from day one, I just wanted to make something people wanted to listen to. I just wanted to do something that kind of emotionally grabbed somebody, you know, create yeah. some, something that sparked something in someone else. And it, that was, that's been the goal. I think my whole life. Is do you feel do like I'm not trying to catch you in, you know, paint you in a corner here, but you're, you're, you're saying that you want to inspire people. And I love that because I love teaching. I love writing songs that other people, yeah. that I'm, I hope it will move someone or, or are you, or is there, cause I'm a little bit selfish too. It's like, if I like it, that's kind of all that matters. 
there's that sort mm-hmm. of thing because yeah. I'm having fun doing this. And it's like, I don't even care if anybody else loves this. I'm on cloud nine. This is the greatest yeah. drug in the world. Just singing and playing with my friends and man, I'm floating in the garage. You know, this well, is I've seen you I'm perform. Like, we've, we've been in a, a couple right. of the same places at the same time. And that's I know right. You but when it. you're, when you're 10, like you say, and, and 12 years old or whatever, you know, preteen, you don't even know what sex is yet. You don't even yeah. care because you're just playing these songs that are about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Right, and right, you don't even right. know what that is. And you're exactly. like totally exactly. floating. That's a selfish drug that you're, that you're getting hooked on by all means. And probably the safest one. My parents liked it because it kept me off the streets. Right. I was safe. I was indoors. I had a moon tan. I didn't need sunscreen. Yada, yada, (laughs) yada. Right. I don't get it. I don't get to tell you guys. I mean, I don't know how many friends I've buried that are in this line of work. I really don't. I've lost count. No, it's true. And the one thing I can say is um, nothing ever took with me. You know, I won't say I was an angel, but nothing ever took. And it was because the music was so important. Mm. It it over. It overwrote all the other paths I could have gone down, which would have been really easy. You were paying but, attention to what was coming out of the speakers more than you were what you were putting in your face and in your yeah. That's and, that that's yeah. been the saving grace in my life. It's yeah. it's been the only thing that's kind of held me together at times. So yeah, and luckily, when you know, well, you found you realized that you were serious about it at a young age. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So when you say you wanted to create something that 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 uh, made other people pay attention and made other people happy and made them want to move as a kid, what albums did that for you? Oh, I mean, well, I, obviously, the yeah. list goes on, but say, give us two or three off the top of your head that were the that were the albums that made you go, oh, this is great. This is kind of what I want to do. So one of the one of the first that I remember really, really hitting me. And it was Boston. Cool. Because I heard those guitars and I heard the organ stuff and all of that joined together, right? What, what say my mother would have considered noise. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's too loud, you know, just tone it down. I heard it, but I heard all this noise make this beautiful thing. And I thought, my gosh, man, I mean, there's harmonies, there's melody, there's some grit. You know, I think that's one of the first ones that got me just thrilled because I'm a real visual person. When I write, I'm visual. I either see a video or a movie playing in the background. It just happens instantaneous. Mm -hmm. And those guys, people like Boston, the Eagles, um, Deep Purple, I mean, like Moody Blues, you know, in all these directions, man would just, you were in it. You were in that scene, you know, you weren't outside of it looking, you were walking around in it. And I wanted to do some stuff like that. Very uh, cinematic. Very cinematic. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Creates a part of it. Yeah. 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 Um, How many instruments do you play? You said you started on drums. I know you play some guitar, you sing. What else do you, uh, what else can you manage to? So I fake several things really, really well. (laughs) right so um so keyboards is in there but i can't do i have some good friends that are amazing pianists or keyboardists i wish i could do what they do they do the ragtime stuff and their hands are going a million miles an hour i'm a great part player i can fake it 
somebody gives me a task to learn a song, I can do it. I can program the board and and play what I need to play, right, with some practice. Um, and I've gotten better at that over the years. Um, bass comes pretty naturally because it's easy for me to sometimes hate the guitar player. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you know, bass players, great bass players think completely different than a guitar player. Right. right. Yeah. And a lot of times they're like, what is he doing? You know, it's like, you know what I mean? There's like, I'm not saying they really actually hate him, but there's, there's that no, thing. They just think different. And yeah. Bass so is its I'm own thing. Bass, bass is its own animal. And if you it's don't understand animal. it, you can't just go, well, I play guitar. How hard can it be? It's like, that's kind of the wrong way for you to oh, no. approach the bass. Oh, you approach a bass like a guitar, you're going to fail epically. You know? Yeah, or you're just going to play what you would on your guitar. And right. whether that's fail or just kind of play, you know, color by number, that's it's not. The bass is its own thing. So, yeah, completely. Completely. So it's good that you understand and saw that early on. I'm, I'll blame it on your family because your dad and your brothers and sisters and and stuff like that. You've got all of this influence from a very young age, so you're kind of getting it. And it's perfect that your mom hated not all rock and roll, but she didn't like. Hey, that's too loud. You know, she. It's perfect that you there was. Oh, you don't like this. Definitely. I'm right. going to go, I'm gonna go turn this up louder somewhere else. Sorry, exactly. mom, but I'm going to go pollute my brain with that only because you said you didn't like it. I'm very glad she said it. It, it did a little bit of that rebellion yes. side of me. Well, that's really, how it works. True story. True story. I was literally, uh, I want to say maybe fifth grade and she tried to ground me. Now, taking away TV, taking away playing with friends, whatever, didn't. I didn't care. Right. And I was pretty stubborn, but she tried to take away my electric guitar. Uh Oh, and I had those cheesy pair of Remember Spencer's. Mm -hmm. So I had those cheesy pair of handcuffs, like a set of them. So I handcuffed the guitar to my wrist, but (laughs) those were the kind she didn't realize you could press the little thing on the side that that would release it. She she thought they were real. And I handcuffed those things to myself for three days. And she was finally like, okay, I guess it's not working. Cause I took it to school with me and the teachers were calling her. Yeah. It was all about making a statement. So you're wow. right. The rebellion drove me harder towards the instrument. Towards wow. Me harder. I just, that would be a great like photo shoot or like a video or something. Like uh, I'm, right. ad- I'm addicted to rock, you know, it's and you got to it sounds like your, a twisted sister song. You're arrested by metal. You're right. Your <laughs> instrument is handcuffed. Right. You know, you're handcuffed to the, to the rack on your drum kit and the, your, yeah. your bass and your guitar. And well, let's yeah. make one. Let's there do it. Is. That's yeah. let's just amazing. Handcuff ourselves to some instruments sure. and we'll write and record it. I love it. That's fantastic. <clears throat> tell, tell me about uh, Third Mist. So this was, uh, I don't know if it's your first band, but it's one of your early bands. And you actually kind of had some success. I mean, you were on Star Search. and Yeah, was, we had um, I'll I tell you, that was a really special thing. I had um, three amazing brothers, if you will. Um, and you know, you talking about a bunch of junior high, high school kids that met at a time and they all loved doing music. They loved it. Right. And so we locked ourselves in. <laughs> they used to hate me for this, but we had this rule when we first became a band. We said, we're really going to do this, man. We're going to we're going to be serious. We're going to get in it. And I made this rule. No girlfriends. 
can't have any girlfriends for two or three months. And we're going to lock ourselves in a warehouse. My drummer's dad had a warehouse that he was generously let us use. Um, and we locked ourselves in there for months un until we did our first gig. And it was like, we're going to be as, as good as we can coming out of the gate because there were some really good musicians. I grew up in Colorado for the most part. Okay. And even though we didn't have like a lot of labels or industry really there, we had some great musicians and some pretty amazing bands in that late eighties, you know, into the early nineties time period. And we saw them out there and we like, we, we really got to have our stuff together and we have to, we have to do this right. And so, yeah, that was, I would say that was the first real band. I had played with some people before definitely um, and several bands before, but that was the first real band and we treated it like a job. It was, it was serious to us. And so, yes, it led to, Going on to Star Search, we were actually supposed to be on in 90 and something happened. They had canceled the male models and the and the bands. It was probably too expensive at the time. And then the show was moved to Orlando, Florida and kind of reinvented for about four or five years, something, six years. And um, yeah, so when we finally went on it, um, yeah, I think they had penciled us off to lose the first show. You know, here comes this rock band and, and times were changing already a little bit. You were getting the boy bands and, and we still got this kind of metal band. So we kind of toned that down a little bit. We had to tone down the lyrics and, but we kept winning. It was weird. We, the audience liked this, so we kept winning and then they had to bring us back for the semifinals. So multiple performances live on air. Oh yeah. 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 How many, how many perform? how many episodes? So episode wise, I believe I was told with because they would shoot the show, then they would divide the show. Oh, okay, right. Half for the weekdays, then they would rerun that. I, I, I think in total we were on about forty something. But you were what on we how many? Shoot probably eight yeah, to how 10. many? Yeah, how eight to ten times? Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I, was, I mean, we I were amazed. I saw a clip and, you know, you got Ed McMahon introducing these guys. I'm like, oh, my God, that's, that's pretty, pretty crazy. Rad. Man. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. So that's national television and you're on multiple times with uh, your first real band. And this is, is 90, 90, 91, 92. So we ended up it ended up being aired for the 92, 93 season. Okay. But I'm going to tell you a quick story. Okay. Yeah. This is, and I can tell this now because it came to light later. But so here, here's this young group of guys, teenagers, 18, you know, years old. And we go play this show and then we lose and we go home. And when you're on star search, it's, it's much like TV broadcast in general, you lose on the stage and you walk about 20 steps into the green room. And before you hit the green room, there's a small room with travel agents booking you home that fast. So the second you lose, they're like, here's your plane tickets. See ya. <laughs> right? <laughs> so so we're like, hey, we're hey, our days on Star Search are done. That's, that's efficient. It. That's efficient. They're efficient. running a machine. So, you know. You bet. And yeah. they're not going to pay for you to be there a second longer than they no. have to. Right. So we get, we get home and we do a bunch of radio interviews and we do a bunch of press. And I have a dear friend that that was a DJ in Colorado at the time. And we did a big interview and he's a real jokester. So he was joking about how old Ed McMahon was and, you know, certain things. And I was kind of joking with him. Uh -oh. 
Yeah, not too bad. I mean, we weren't ripping on him too bad. And Ed's a really nice guy. But, but you know, they were talking about spokesmodels having to help him on the stage and different things. You know, it just, it kind of went off the rails. So then they called us back to do the semifinals. And when we got off the plane and we got on set, the first thing that was told to me is, be a little careful. Ed heard your radio interview. Oh, wasn't shit. the happiest about it. So you might want to walk on eggshells this time while you're here. I was like, what? <laughs> you know? Yeah. What yeah. did you say about Ed that made him so uh, uptight? Was I mean. Well, we were doing impressions of him. Okay. We'd be like, yes, sir. You're right, sir. Yes. Yeah. Thanks, Johnny. <laughs> I don't think you like that. No. Ah, you could be, no. you could, you could have done worse, I guess. I, yeah. It was a bad impression. He shouldn't have, shouldn't have bothered him at all. So did uh, did the TV exposure uh, lead to anything? Did you guys get signed to a label? Did it go anywhere from there? Or was that kind of the high point and then it kind of faded out? It did. We ended up talking to Chameleon uh, Record, which was Sam Hogan's project from Sonia Data at the time. He was somehow involved. But we talked to, and they were, um, Chameleon was embedded on Electra at the time. So it led to that, but it didn't go anywhere for us because here's, here's the deal, you know, March of 94 after this had gone down with us for a while, grunge took over the airwaves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What and was especially the name, what was the name of there. the group again, that was on star search. I want people, I want our listeners and, and watchers Third to be missed. able to look. I'm sorry. Third missed. Third, Third, Third missed. Third yeah. missed. Okay. So okay. did you guys get uh, any chance maybe to open for some big well-known bands or, or did you not do a lot of gigging? Oh, tell us. Many. So yeah, that was, that was a nice thing. We hit, um, luckily and probably because we were in high school and we had the ability to be in a warehouse. You know, how many bands are just out of their garage or, a, or a, you know, basement and which we were too for a bit, but, um, our drummer's parents' warehouse, we took that thing over from 5 p.m. till basically 5 a.m. And we practiced religiously every day that we weren't playing a gig. We we were there seven, eight. Uh, we played those songs a million times until they were just. And do you but, miss do you miss those days? Because I sure do. Uh, when I was when you're 16, 17, 18 years old, it's like Whatever you got to get up in the morning and go do. Some people went to school till you quit, right? Right. And then you're just waiting for the other guys to get out of school until they quit. So you can fucking rehearse three, right. four, or five days a week. And then you play someone's living room or backyard on the weekends, as many weekends as possible until you're old enough to play in a proper venue, right? Right. Or you're renting halls and putting on your own shows. I would imagine exactly. you guys eventually did stuff like that too. Tons. And yeah. we did shows in the warehouse. But like to your nice. point. I was going to ask that. To your point, when you're that age yeah. and you've written some songs and yeah. then you got a group of your friends that you're with religiously every day. 24-7, right? yeah. And then it works and it starts to sound good and yeah. people are coming and singing that song back to you. Oh my gosh, man, there's no high like it and there's nothing yeah. that competes with it. And the hunger you have to, to want to do more of that is, is amazing. So yeah. I, I'm, I know, you know, you know, yeah. I, I know, yeah. you know, and, and it's, um, but i tell you what, you know, I'm a little older now and uh, I don't think the hunger's ever left, you know, mm -hmm. and, and really 
up until recently, I've done a lot of projects. I've recorded a lot of things, been on a lot of things, but I've been on a lot of things that haven't gone too far. Mm -hmm. And I have, you know, a lot of things that got shelved. It's amazing. If, 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 if people only knew the amount of projects, the amount of bands that have been signed and then been shelved, you know, and the songs that have sat with a label for five, six years and never yeah. got heard. Yeah. It's unbelievable the talent that's that's just sitting, you know, right. Yeah. Right. had money spent on it and it's sitting and the world never got to hear it. It's, it's almost so. like a conspiracy theory that these labels say, yeah, I'm going to develop you guys so my other band can be bigger than you because you guys are kind of too good. I'm and you hold, might sell and we don't want another back. label yeah. to grab you. Right. Right, right. Yeah. That's so tell, so such a, back, an ogre back up a move. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm I, I wanted to hear some of the bands, some of the bigger bands that you you opened for with right. Third Mist. You you kind of had some traction going, and and you said oh, you had some opportunities. Um, we did so many people that came through that region of the country, whether it be Kansas, uh, Colorado, um, yeah. So uh, Steelheart. Wild Side. I don't know if you remember mm -hmm. Wild Side. Of course. Yeah. Um, gosh, Slaughter. Um, a bunch of, I think, XYZ once. Um, just a bunch of groups like that, man. All the 80s yeah. groups. They would come through. We had a couple of big places. We had Mammoth Event Center. We had, like, the Fillmore. We had a, a big place called Bangles for a while. It was a club, yeah. but it was a big club. Played there a bunch. Bengals was awesome. Little yep. had three tiers to it, and the top yeah. one was the was the yep. naughty tier. What about after the gold rush? <laughs> after the gold rush, you remember after the gold? Of dude, course, I don't know played there a bunch of times. The bands we did there, man. Yeah, that was a stomping ground for us for the longest time. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I've got pictures of that place. Just oh yeah, oh mm -hmm. yeah. But I will. You know, here's another story. Uh, so I've always worn boots, right? Even to this day, I'm, I'm wearing boots right now. And I had this beautiful pair of ostrich boots. I'd saved money, right? I'd done some side jobs, saved up for these ostrich boots. I had the concha bracelets all around them, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. We were glam. <laughs> and and after the gold rush, I remember we, we, at that point, we had done pretty well regionally as far as a following. I mean, we'd pack 800, 1,000 people in after the gold rush, you know? And I think it fit maybe 1,200. And, um, boy, we did this big show that was after star search and it was kind of a coming home show. So everybody was coming out for that. Now you were something, now you were on TV. So, you know, of course they're going to go to that show, but we come running out and I didn't scuff up those boots enough. And so you hear me singing this thing off stage and I'm supposed to run the center stage, man, and hit the mic just full on. And I slipped and went right past that mic feet up in the air on my back and landed. Thank God my keyboard player had an ultimate support stand. Right. And, and that stopped me from going off the edge of that little stage, you know, but oh. I spent the first verse on my back in total pain. <laughs> on that wow. So if you played after the gold rush, you know, you know, it was, it's a wood. I mean, yeah. it looks like a wood dance floor, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, polished and everything. Yeah. Too many memories of that. Anyway. Um, so you 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 also have uh, done a lot of work as far as being a producer, an engineer, and that sort of thing. You're, you're a studio rat, basically. Um, tell us, uh, 
Tell us about some of your clients. Who have you worked for? Who have you done records for? Well, can I, can I brag? I'm gonna yes, please. please. I, I love bringing attention to people, especially good people. And there's quite a few lately here that we've done. Um, uh, basically, I have a building outside of my residence, and that's and sound so. Just cheap. to be clear, you're in Nashville, correct? I'm just north of Nashville. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I'm go ahead and continue. So we've had some really cool people. We've recorded um, Abby Kay up here, um, and she's kind of like a young rock kind of pop. I wouldn't call it pop or punk, but it's definitely got edge to it. She's a metalhead, you know, and super great bass player and plays with some really great people. She does the Broadway thing a lot in Nashville, you know, a lot like a lot of musicians do, you know, yeah. to pull the void. But um, so Abby Kay is recorded here and actually Troy Laquetta, um, mm -hmm. formerly a Tesla and a good friend of mine, Jeff Kersey, we produced three songs for her at Troy's studio initially, and then she came here and did some stuff. Um, the Neon Angels have recorded three or four with us. I think they just put out their third or fourth single out of here. Um, th so they're going to go into next year strong, and that's a cool rock band. A lot of influences of Joan Jett, that kind of thing, but a modern twist on it. Yeah. So that's been a lot of fun. Just a lot of um, little projects like that. Uh, I get to do things. Here's the cool thing when you have your own studio. I get to do really cool stuff. So my wife has put out uh, singles uh, and she's an amazing songwriter, singer. My son, we're about to start tracking him. He's kind of on that rap R&B side. Cool. Man. So, yeah. So nice. I got to work with a lot of great musicians and a lot of great bands here lately. But the fun thing is we get to turn that inward now a little bit and and let this talent within the family because they're amazing, too. And so I'm excited about doing those more of that as well. Yeah. So yeah. So as a producer, who are some of your who are some of your idols who, who in the production world is like your you're Eddie Van Halen or you're John Lennon when you're, when you're wearing your producer's hat. Well, I'll tell you, I mean, originally you look at people and, and it's funny. I, I would say, and this one, I would say more engineer, but, but I, I love the fact that Tom Schultz was responsible for not just using his gear in an amazing way, but building it and and yeah. having the wherewithal to think forward and even people like stevie wonder you know when you think about how curse wheel and all that came about when when the first samplers and yeah. since went that direction and there's a lot of even musicians in on that design and composition of those kind of things which took music in a different direction so that would be early on but then you know people like ruben i mean you know, and Michael Wagner. Mm -hmm. I mean, you listen to their body work and Michael's a good friend, you know, and yeah, which blows my mind because, <clears throat> you know, he produced a soundtrack to my life, yeah. so to speak. And he's out there your way too, isn't he? He is. Yeah. He is. And, and he's he, retired, which. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he yeah. has, doesn't he have a studio in his backyard or inside his house or he, he did yeah. Wireworld, Yeah. Yeah. Is he still, is he so retired? Is he, is he keeping the studio and just going to lease it or what? So you can stay either of you, if you would like to stay in his studio because it's now kind of an Airbnb. Oh, so he sold wow. off a lot okay. of the gear, but it still looks like Wireworld. It's just yeah. more of like a house setting. 
Okay. And, and I haven't been to it since he changed it over, since he got rid of all the gear. I, I went to it several times when it had gear, but... Um, I've seen countless photos of people, you know, yucking it up just in there and oh, within man. the walls of that place. But I've, I've never, I haven't spent very much time yeah. in Nashville or, you know, it's I, something I bet it's, it's something cool. that, yeah. Well, you walk in and then the, in the entry, you know, there's been two times in my life that I've been really odd. One, I produced a, a country band called Sequoia in this was an evergreen Colorado at Danny Serafin's private studio that he opened up for some projects. Danny Serafin, drummer for Chicago. Okay. And I didn't think he was going to be there. I talked to his studio manager at the time and this band had, had uh, you know, kind of sought me out at another studio. I was working at a studio called Omega Audio and they wanted me to produce the record and we went up there. And when I walked in, you look at all the gold and platinum and and i didn't realize danny surfing had written so much of that like you were saying about drummers actually yeah. writing not there you go and incredibly responsible for all these chicago hits and the wall is plastered as i'm going and i'm like oh my gosh and, and i'm in there i'm trying to speed this up but second day i think i'm tracking them or something like that and he had it really wired more for us for a drum studio as yeah. opposed to just a band tracking studio, you know, to, and so we kind of moved some things around a little bit, kind of rewired some stuff, you know, just to be, just to get the flow a little faster. Mm -hmm. Efficient. I remember one of the days I was in there getting a tap on the shoulder from him and he's in this Kangol hat and, and I turned to my side, it's him. And he's like, Hey man, how's everything going? I see you kind of move some things around, but everything working out for you. And I'm just thinking, <laughs> Oh gosh. Yeah. I mean, you know, talk about being on the spot and he sat around for a couple hours and listened and liked it. And, wow. And off. But so that was the first time. Second time was Michael Wagner's because you can meet him out and you, you know him or whatever, but then you walk in a wire world and you see what's on the wall. Yeah. And you realize you're this big. You're yeah. like, I thought it was decent 10 minutes ago. Yeah. And no, <laughs> no. Wow. Different yeah. kind of crown, but there's many, you know, Nick Raskolinis. There's so there's so many guys. Um, uh, there's another guy I'm kind of starting to work with now. Um, you know, there's just there's a million, but anyway, yeah. I only ask because I mean, I, I don't have the least bit of talent as far as that goes, but I do have you know my favorite albums, and I noticed that you know, there's oftentimes a link. Uh, between those albums and it's the producer and Jason and I on this show, we did an entire episode on Martin Birch oh. and Martin, of course, uh, did uh, two of my top three favorite albums of all time. Uh, the number of the beast by iron maiden and uh, heaven and hell by black Sabbath. And then of course you go down the rabbit hole and he did blue oyster cult. And I mean, just a bunch of other stuff. So there's this thread. And so from I wanted to ask you the question because you've actually sat in the chair and actually done the work. So you're obviously more of a student of that type of thing. You have the ears. I like that. those guys, though. <laughs> well, more so than me, for sure. So that's just why I asked, you know, if there was anybody out there that you sort of modeled yourself after or, or that inspired. Yeah, it's you. a good coffee table conversation that we like to, to get people such yeah. yourselves involved with. I think um, the people that I've been around, 
and you know some of which I've I've got to work with in one way or another. The best producers have a sense about them. There's a calmness because you know people forget oftentimes, and depending on the project, if it's independent, if it's label or something like that, the producer wears a lot of hats. It's not just about getting the best for the song. It's about monitoring budget. It's about logistics. And then being able to listen to something in its raw form, know what the hooks are, know what the hook around the hook is, the little things, the nuances that maybe everybody else isn't hearing, but what's going to, in the long run, impact the song the most for for the everyday listener. It's those little things. It's like the reading between the lines. Yeah. And then being able to be a, a glorified babysitter to an artist, which sometimes is super easy and sometimes not so easy, and then pulling that out of them. So it, it really is such an important task. It, it's, in my opinion, it's still an underrated task. I, I know people in the industry go, man, that producer, because they know, they get it, they've seen yeah. it happen. But the average listener, they're like, oh, somebody produced this. What does it mean to them? And if they could actually see the amount of work that goes in and what really happens with songs at times. Um, so the best ones I've ever been around have a real calm nature to them and a very positive side mm. to them. Yeah. You know, you can't walk into a, a session, have somebody in a booth and go, Oh man, that takes sucked. I'm going to need you to do that. Like a couple more. We got to get that high better. You know, you, do you need more tea? Cause I, I can feel it. You just sound like you do that. You just lost your session and you probably lost your client and you're not going to get anything good from them. Yeah. There's a way of, there's an approach and it's, Hey man. Okay. That was awesome. I really liked what you did there. Give me one. Let's get one with a different flavor and a different texture just for fun. Try one where you're doing this. Maybe try a few of these, right? I'm going to, I'm going to let it roll or let's go back and get that. And and then we're going to listen and find the best because you're doing such great stuff. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's a much I better like approach. I like that. I like right? that. And you're, and so you're there's, having an element, there's an element of being a people person and, and, and being diplomatic in order to get the end result. And, and that's a skill. That's a, that's, that's a skill that goes well, beyond technical ability. That's a, that's a personality skill. There's not if one you're way on the end of that guitar, that microphone. And somebody says, you know, in a way to you that shuts you down or takes the wind out of your sail. Yeah. Yeah. It's, especially <laughs> for musicians. Cause this is so personal. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. when you're the musician, it's, it's personal. It's all yeah. coming from here at the time you want to, you want to do your best. And when it's not, you know, that's not going to get you there. It's, yeah, you got to put the honey on it. Yeah, I like and you that. Can, and you can get great things. <laughs> got to put the honey on it. That's uh, well said. I like that. <laughs> yeah, I could talk about that right there. That that moment in the studio for an hour about, yeah, yeah. about ways to 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 get past the hump that you've created by whether it's not quite right or you're you're trying to not tell them it's not right yet by right. by going around it by going man let's try some let's try a bunch of let's keep that one and go do a bunch of other versions of it and then see which one we like as you said already but that's usually better than going yeah that sucked you need some more tea <laughs> <laughs> that's a fucking at the nightmare end of the day, at yeah. the end of the day 
people are human, right? Yeah. And and musicians, that side of the brain and the artistry of them make them by default, I believe, to be a little more sensitive in areas. Sure. Now, I'm not as sensitive. I have maybe, I think I, I have one feeling left. And so it's really hard to, you know, penetrate that. So I don't get my, <laughs> I've got friends, they can tell me, oh, that's up, dude, do that again. And we're laughing about it, right? Yeah, when I, you're close, that's different. Yeah. Yeah, and we've been, I've been doing this a while and I just, I don't take it, I'm not married to anything. I don't take things personally too mm. much. Yeah, but a lot of people, man, when this is their song and this is their their craft and their art, and they have poured their life into this. Yeah, you can't go like deflating that that balloon. Well, yeah. especially if they're kind of green because they don't right. know that at all, and they go in there and they're just happy to be recording something. Right. 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 Yeah. yeah, the years of experience allows you to have a bit of a thicker skin. I, I imagine, you know, mm -hmm. when you go in to record your first record, you're convinced that it's, you know, the reason you're there is because somebody thinks it's good. So whatever you're doing is just fine. And then you get shot down a few times. And but Dave, some, sometimes the reason you're there is because you're the only one that thinks it's good. <laughs> yeah. You're just there yeah, going, I'm, I'm going to go make a record. Know. Well, you don't have any songs. I didn't Fuck. say that. Fuck yes. you. I'm going to go make a record. And, and okay, yeah, you made a record. I'm I'm talking about back in the day when you ended up in a big budget recording studio because somebody signed you and believed in you, you know, oh, right. that sort of thing. Yeah. But I, yeah. I appreciate mm -hmm. the insight and the perspective because I think a lot of people, uh, myself included to a degree, you turn over the album and you read all the credits and you nerd out on the liner notes and you see producer yeah. and you don't really know exactly what that means, you know? And, and the thing is, it means a lot of different things depending on the person and the situation, because you mentioned Rick Rubin earlier, and I've read interviews with bands that have worked with Rubin, and they call him a vibe guy. Like he shows up and his aura is kind of what you pay for. And then there's other people that come in and they're very much technicians and they analyze. Yeah. And they, yeah, and they're very meticulous about the sound. So, you know, when you see producer on the back of an album, a lot of people don't know what that role means. You know, and it means a lot of different things, apparently. Well, and I would I would take a second to say, and especially when I have people who are doing this for the first time and it's the first time recording or it's the first time really recording. You know, there's, you know, maybe they've made a bunch of scratch takes or something at their house. And but now now it's time and it's time to make a, a record or a, an EP or a single or whatever the case is. Everybody's important. If and, and I tell them this, when you credit, when you when you put that thing in, <laughs> well, now everything's a digital, but you know, even on that, when you credit your videos and your songs and your whatever, I don't care if it was the milkman who came in to pour a little bit into your coffee and that made your day and made you do better on those tracks. Everything is important in the process everyone is important your engineer maybe uh you've got somebody across the way who's doing some artwork for you you've got a friend that did some really good photography at some point like everything you're not the center of the universe you may have created a a good hook and a good song and maybe your lyrics are fantastic but without all these other pieces you go nowhere and without people listening to it you're going to play that thing that you love for yourself for the rest of time, <laughs> just to you, because mm -hmm. it takes 
other pieces and it takes other people and their talents. And so that is a praise the village, not the King. Right. And, and I think the, the longer you do this and maybe, maybe the older I get and the sappier I get, you know, you, you are not the center of the world ever. And, um, and it takes, well, you guys, you, you, you know, doing an interview with me, which I don't know if anybody wants to listen to that or not. You know, they could get hat advice from me. Maybe I don't know. People need to, we, we, there's, we've learned. We've got a couple listeners. Last couple of years. (laughs) We've learned, we've learned that it's important to not just have people on that. We know who they are and they're a rock star or, Oh, we're going to get a lot of numbers having this guy. We don't give a shit about that. Yeah. Yeah. We want listeners to, to dive in and trust us. Whether they do or not, we don't worry about that either. But we want listeners to trust us that we will have guests or that Dave and I will have a topic to speak about and just weigh in Beavis and Butthead style, whatever, to yeah. just give a feeling that you might like this. This yeah. might we, – we're talking to the people that we feel like might like this because we do. So yeah. if if there's an inkling of of interest uh in the guest or a topic we'll we'll talk about it whether we talk 10 minutes about it or 3 hours it doesn't matter <laughs> yeah it's part of the sh- it becomes part of the show and there's a reason that we'll bring it up and talk about it so there's definite reason why we would want to talk to you and I'm uh, before I forget I'm I'm glad that you uh, that we hooked up and that you wanted well, to do this with us oh man absolutely and I I Totally appreciate you guys. I'll, I'll say one more thing to this point and then get off that. But you know, my brother said something to me a long time ago that I felt like was very wise. You can be great at your job or you can be outstanding in your industry. And, and that's a whole different mindset. But when you're outstanding in your industry, you realize that allies around and in your industry are the key to being successful. Yeah. So and I, that's true not just with music but with anything the more allies and the more you work together yeah and the more you support others you know you you lift other people up by default i i think the universe speaks to us all um in certain ways and but i i believe it's all connected and that's 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 what you take away at the end of the day i believe Amen. I I totally agree with that. Saying thank you is so simple and it carries so much value and and so much. uh, It means a lot to people. I'll 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 put Jason on a pedestal here for a minute, but he's been kind to me over the years to list me in the liner notes on his albums and stuff like that. And just seeing your name somewhere, knowing that you were important enough for someone to remember to give you credit. It just it makes you smile, man. And it's really cool. And, uh, you know, so I hear what you're saying a hundred percent. And as you said, it's not just in the music industry. It can, it's, it's your day job. It's in your family, whatever. Thank you goes a long, long, long way. And public acknowledgement goes a long, long, long way. But so many people miss that point. They get so caught up in themselves or they get in such a rat race hurry that they forget those things. And those things are very, very important. So I, I appreciate you bringing that up because it does mean a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of, uh, we've got to talk about Mick Mars. Um, this is an incredible opportunity for you. Um, 
wow. Um, let's see. So you're 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 singing lead vocals on two tracks on the upcoming Mick Mars solo album um, called Another Side of Mars is or the Another other side of Mars. Okay. Uh, the album drops in February. It's Mick's first solo album outside of Motley Crue. And you got a phone call. How did this happen? Well, I, I owe that completely, completely to my dear friend, Paul Taylor. Uh, uh, we so love we Paul have Taylor. been, we have been friends for many years. And matter of fact, very good friends the whole time I've lived in Nashville, which has probably been about 16 or so, maybe 17 years now, something like that. So real quick, we got to tell people that Paul Taylor is is probably best known for his work in Winger, and he worked with Alice Cooper. And when we interviewed him, I was surprised to find out he got his start with Aldo Nova. Aldo Nova. Yeah. yeah. So Paul's been around for a long time, folks. You know his work, whether isn't, you know his name or not. Isn't he also in Tom Kiefer's band? Oh, my God. So Paul has played with everyone from right. Steve Perry to right. Tom mm -hmm. Shaw to... Yeah, Cinderella first, and and then Tom yeah. Kiefer solo. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, he's written things with Skid Row. He's just Paul is so he has done so many works, and his body of work is insane. Yeah. He is just an unbelievably talented guy, like yeah. for talented, and he's the most down to earth guy. I make jokes about him. Because here's Paul, and I hope he doesn't get mad. Off. I have an impression of Paul. Does Paul yeah. get mad at anything? <laughs> right, exactly. Right? He's so good. I don't. He's so relaxed. Yeah. He has the coolest voice. Yeah. You know, yeah. you call him on the yeah. phone and you talk to him, or when you see him, and if you interviewed him, you know. Yeah. He's like, "Hey, man, how you doing?" Like, yeah. Great to hear from you. And he's genuine, and he is the yeah. same with everybody. I don't care yes. who you are. Yeah. You know, you could you could be the, the the prince of some foreign country or, you know, the guy picking up his trash can. He's yeah. the same guy 24 um, seven. So, yes. So I owe Paul completely. We have done some things. He he's had me come in and track on songs, um, publishing songs with him. We've written publishing songs. Um We've just done a lot of stuff. We played live together. He's he's been a doll and and come and played. I've done some benefit concerts and some and some things. And he's always Johnny on the spot to come up, wants nothing and just just to help out a buddy. So, yeah, he's the real deal. And um, so I'll I'll, I'll I'll hone in on this. So <laughs> he's working on a song, right? Him and Mick, just to paint a picture. So Mick. Paul and Jacob Button, right? Um, kind of, you know, doing the main writing for this record, right? That's that's your main writers for the record. Mick, and I'll talk about that in a second. He has a million amazing ideas all the time. Like he is so creative, it's ridiculous. But um, so Paul was working on this particular thing. Um, and he's like, you know, I want to... I want to do a couple of things and I want to, I want to show Mick kind of like what I've done with, you know, a couple of his ideas and he's got ideas and he's, you know, very specific on this song. This song is very important, you know, and, and, and everybody just wants to do a great job on it. Well, so he's like, I, you have done songs for me in the past where you have this angst, this word is going to come up a whole lot because I keep seeing it in print all the time, but this desperation, this angst. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, he says, I, you know, 
I'm just going to demo it. I'm going to come and just demo it to see if I can put a bunch of angst thinking that, you know, another singer or somebody's going to take it from there. Right. But how cool is this bucket list, right? Mick is going to get to hear my voice potentially. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm on cloud nine, right? <clears throat> and so we tracked it. He showed it to Mick and apparently Mick was Mick's like, that's the other guy. So Mick said early on in the process, he loved like how the Beatles had had different textures and different singers. You'd hear, you know, there's a couple lead singers going on and it and so it it widened the musical, you know, body of work because of that. And that's what he wanted to do. He had made it. He had made several comments to that and apparently he loved it, which I couldn't believe it. You know, when I got that call, that was just on and to be with people like Jacob Button. I mean, you, you all know Jacob, like yeah. he, he's phenomenal, phenomenal singer, phenomenal writer. Like he's involved in a ton of stuff. Paul, obviously, uh, Mick. It's not a I surprise mean, that Paul and Jacob are buddies and no. these amazing no. <laughs> like talents who walk and the then, earth. Oh my God. And then you bring yeah. in Ray Luzier, you know? I mean, yeah. from corn, like yeah. a monster, monster. In my opinion, probably one of the best living right now. Like, if you have ever heard Ray do stuff outside of metal, he's phenomenal. Like, ridiculously good, super yeah. cool human. And then you know, Michael obviously was involved, and then Chris Collier came on board. Like everybody involved in this thing is just number one great humans but then their talent is ridiculous and here i am you know get thrust into this thankfully to paul and mick and and um well obviously yeah. they respect you and that's why it's important that we talk about this because yeah. you using your words you're the other guy you know I'm the other guy. And, the, and actually those are mixed words apparently yeah there he's yeah. the other guy we got the other guy now you know the other guy so that's man, cool. You I'm being cool the, being the other guy, man. I got no problems yeah, with that. Yeah, man. Yeah. Right. I can be the other, another's guy, you know? Yeah. Like, like, I can just be some guy. <laughs> the like, other, other guy. That one guy mm -hmm. down the street, around yeah. the corner, you know? Yeah. That, that's cool. I yeah. love it. So, yeah. so how did the second song come about? Did did Mick like the first uh, the first song that you sang so much that he that he basically ordered a second one? Or did you already have one lion? <laughs> laying around and and he said hey i want to hear more of what this guy's got how did track number I'll two take number two with the coke as well yeah, yeah. i don't um, <laughs> yeah i was that was obviously i wasn't privy to the conversation when that happened um i was just asked to track some other songs mm -hmm. okay. and just see how it gelled how it worked you know this is and i will say this this is a mick record and mick wanted to do this the way he heard it in his head and there's been no mistake about that. He wasn't going to release until he felt like it was there. He wasn't going to, you know, he wasn't going to put any song on it that he didn't feel strongly about. I mean, he he has very clear vision of what he wants up here. And when it's not going that particular way, he's going to he's going to find it eventually. Yeah. And and he lined himself up with the perfect people to just help you know, kind of make that happen. Um, and these other guys, cause that's what they're great at. <laughs> on the two but, song on the two, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just want to move oh, around a little bit. Yeah, instead yeah. of like 
did these two songs that you're on <clears throat> i mean I, I could ask this about the whole record but let's stay focused did, did, there were lyrics already these are not your lyrics or did they ask you no. to write lyric okay no these were not my lyrics no okay they had already written that um are they mix or jacobs or oh i i, I you know i i i think and you know Hopefully nobody gets upset at me. I, no, I'm it's pretty okay. sure that it's it's a joint venture. Oh, good. All right. I know Paul, that Nick Paul had maybe even Paul maybe oh, even sure, had, Paul. So, had some some play in it too. Oh, for sure, for sure. And you know, it's like it's like any. I'm sure you know. You know, you've been in rights, and it's yeah. somebody has this. I want to write about. I want to talk. I want to get this feeling across, and they they pencil things out, and somebody else is like, hey, maybe if we say it like this, and we say it like, and it's it's a it's a it's a combination of things to get it across where you saw it going in here. I like how you say that it's mixed record, but this explanation of how it's this mix, mix army yeah. collaborating under mix, you know, brains. Absolutely. Kind of a thing. Uh, yeah. It, it sounds well, they're really all cool. Professionals. And yeah. they oh, all yeah. know oh, yeah. wanted something um, very specific. And, yeah. and the, and even, even when I was tracking, you know, Paul would reiterate to me because I do a lot of vocals with Paul and I, he, I don't know, he can bring things out in me that I don't think anyone can. He is, I don't know what it is, just the relaxedness of being with him. But, um, um, when we were in there, he's like, just want a lot of that angst and that desperation, you know, think about what the song's about. And like, we really just, and just like thought it out. And interestingly enough, and and I think I'm right about this. I could be wrong, and if if so, they can correct me. But we tracked it, and you know, a lot of times when you're engineering or you're producing, you want to track a few because you never know when a word it may have sound good in the headphones at the time, or you know, in the control room, and you, then you kind of get it in the mix, and maybe it. Oh man, we should have that word different, or just you know, a little clearer, whatever the case. And I ran it a few times, not all on the same day, but the take that was the one that ended up on the record, if I'm not mistaken, is my first, is the first time wow. I sang it. Because I think it was explained to me so well by Paul. I knew, you know, and he knew it was in mixed mind, 100%. And uh, it just came out. And Mick said, leave it alone. We'll take that one. Yeah. Uh, so yeah so the second that was probably be behind closed doors conversation i don't know if they said specifically we want brian to sing in the second or if it was this makes sense or we think the voice is going to sound right on that i don't know the exact but i just know that they wanted me to sing some stuff i was happy to do it and lo and behold i'm on another another set of marks did you track any additional songs besides the two that appear on the album? Maybe that didn't uh, make it to the record. Well, I got to hear. Yeah, I got to hear a couple, but um, I, I think pretty early on, it was clear. Those were the two. Those were the two. And it was already being narrowed down. You remember these guys had been working on that for a while. Yeah. I kind of came in. I wouldn't say at the tail end, but I, I came in down the road. Right. So mm -hmm. the, Things were forming and and the things being chosen for the record were already in place. They were happening already. So, um, yeah, they would be able to answer some of those specifics a whole lot better than I and 
you know, I just kind of went with the flow and, uh, yeah, you know, probably well, like anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Karabi recorded, uh, a number of tracks for this record and they didn't make the album. Um, do you, do you have any insight as to why that didn't pan well, out? Well, I will say this. I know, uh, Karabi, we have, well, we've been on some cruises together. I've been in one band playing and while, you know, he was in the dead daisies on something and I've seen him, obviously he's here in Nashville and, um, uh, we cross paths. He's a great guy and he's a, he's an awesome singer. I yeah, love his yes. voice. Me too. Uh, I love his body of work. Um, I don't know specifically, um, when I know they tracked those teasers together, I don't know. I've never asked Mick, to be honest. I've never asked if that was the intention that that was going to go on his solo record or if they were tracking things to track things. I'm not really sure. I know there's been a lot of talk about, is he on this record? And um, unless something changes that I don't know about, but I, um, I don't, you know, he's he won't be appearing on other side of Mars, but um, I couldn't speak to whether that stuff will come to fruition later. I, d I don't really know. Um, I know he's a super good guy and I know he's respected and, uh, yeah. Yeah. He, he's, he's a sweetheart. Um, I'm glad that you brought it show. up Dave either way to, to at least get some reaction from Brian, but at the same time, it also makes me think, yeah, they've been working on this Mick record for a while now. They've got all these, just to sum it up, bad motherfuckers, uh, yeah. working on the record, <clears throat> producing the sort of kind of monster uh who knows these other tracks that you know uh have uh you know be, being talked about whether they're going to show up now or later let's just hope they show up later in some capacity uh yeah maybe some kind of other other project mick will have after this um sure it's not one and done it's mick fucking mars so well I, do whatever I, I, he wants you know I'm not letting any cat out of a bag by saying this because he's already said it. He's already working on more music. I mean, he's already yeah. started on a second. And I, I, I don't know if it's a follow up to this record or, but he's, yeah, he's got a lot. He's got a lot he, he wants to get out. He has some such brilliant ideas he comes up with. He does things on guitar that just as a guitarist, yeah. like, and Paul said it too. Is that your guitar? Like, how did you, like, really? Is that, that's insane. So you, know, you can hear it on this record, you know, when yeah. this record comes out, you'll hear some things. That you're just like, wow. Well, he was, he was always, always my favorite guy in Motley Crue. Uh, whether I'm a big Motley fan or not has nothing to do with it. It was right. always Mick. I was really drawn to as a listener, hearing the meat behind Me all too. of the songs. So his riff is angular. His yeah. uh, his approach is different than just, you know, I, I'm not throwing rocks at any guitar player that would be whatever, Sam, the way Sammy Hagar writes a riff. I feel like Sammy writes the, plays the chords underneath his vocal hooks. Mm -hmm. He's not really writing the riff the way Mick writes a riff and then works with people who can put that melody and that hook around that riff because the riff is just as important. In Mick's case, it's it's just as important as whatever you're going to do on top of it. You, you, you just hit on such an important thing, you know, because so many people, especially when you're a guitar player, mm -hmm. you get asked, if you're a lead guitar player, who are the best guitar players? 
And you talk about a hard question to answer because what are we talking about? You can look at the Nunos, the Vise, the Van Halens as, you know, these solos and um, innovators of certain types of techniques mm -hmm. and shredders and things, which I, I love and I totally sure, respect. Sure, but can the shredder write a song? Well, and, and you know. I mean, I know, I know some of them can for sure. sure of um, course. And then, but then you have like, you have the mix and the mix, even though they can play great solos too, but the riffs, like you said, they're so iconic, mm -hmm. like within, you know, so many measures or a couple of bars, it's so iconic. It grabs your brain and you can't shake it. And no matter how simple or technical or difficult that may be on one end of the spectrum you can't shake the riff the riff makes everything yeah and he has done that the power really of the riff compels me the power yeah. of the riff compels the me. power of riff compels power me. of the riff compels me <laughs> exactly you said yeah that and he's that guy Mm -hmm. you, you said that Mick is already, uh, I, I won't put words in anyone's mouth and, and uh, I won't say that he's already working on a second album necessarily, but there's music out there that's floating around. He's got a million ideas, as you've said. Have you gotten the call to collaborate on anything in the future? Um. <laughs> so, uh, well, that's a... I can't well, answer that question at this time. Uh, Next. Uh, I, I, <laughs> okay, I'll, I won't. I'll, I won't put you on the spot. I'll turn you, back to Mick on that one. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. I don't. I don't want to put you on the spot and 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 cause any ripples or anything. I was just curious because obviously, uh, you did something twice that that he enjoyed for the first record. So it just makes sense that you might be in the. We appreciate the you Rolodex. telling us that the stories about how you kind of got Paul called you and 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 it was on like. Genghis Khan and and now the oh. record's dropping in February and it's a great uh you know wham bam two feathers in your hat as well as just the experiences you had with friends and people you know right. that's uh, that's fucking amazing don't well, you well these singles coming out yeah you know, obviously the one on Halloween and yeah know, on the 13th of every month you yeah know, it's perfect yeah. That's a good, that's very Mick. So listen, yeah. there, don't you have, you know, you have your own stuff. Yes. What's yeah. going yeah. on with that? So I've actually, I have had the plan to have my own record for almost four years, literally. And uh, so been writing stuff on that and whittling down, you know, you write stuff, you hear it in your head, you sing it in the car, you're driving somewhere and you keep going, eh, maybe that's not as good as this other one I was singing. And I've tracked a, uh, several things already. Um, my goal is, my goal is this 2024 to, if nothing else, do a single from that record. And that record will be entitled Boa. That will be the band. Um, and so um, I will release a single from that, possibly two. And we'll see how the timing of everything plays out. Um, maybe more. I, I might try to actually put the album out. Um, but there's a logistical thing about that, too. You can kind of got to look at what, you know, timing wise and what works. And in this day and age, you, you should do videos and you should do, you know, so. But there's some busyness happening, obviously. 
uh, on this planet Mars right now. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, we got to let that unfold a little bit and and uh, um, some things with that. But yeah, that I'm looking forward to that. Very cool. Very much. You, um, when we were talking about the tracks you did for the Mick album, um, initially it, it was you presented them as tracks. So at some point, did you actually? Were you ever actually in the studio with Mick? Did you get to rub shoulders with Mick and hang out with Mick and work with Mick in a collaborative way? Or was it kind of all long distance via digital tracks, et cetera? Um, no, we, um, yes. So I've been to Mick's um, several times and um, he's actually been out to me. Um, and I'll tell you what, um, you would not meet a nicer guy. Uh, more humble i was so odd because you know you you know what you know from the press and you know what you know from friends that know this person right but until you're face to face and i the first time meeting him couldn't have been a warmer experience you know and we have a lot of little things in common I, i had no idea he loves collections of things so you know i got to see some collections of things that i think are amazing and so the relationship, I think, from there went to, man, this is just just a cool dude where we have things in common, and obviously we like the same kind of music. And um, so I'm 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 kind of a jokester, and I'm I'm kind of a dork. So I I do this with a lot of my friends. I'll send pictures. I'll see things that I think they'll think is funny or they like or whatever. So of course, yeah. You know, like I've sent make things like it's a house that looks like a skull, you know, I'm like look at the way they built that, you know, or, you know, send little things like that back and forth. I'm, I'm kind of that way with everybody I know, but, and, and I tell you what, he's just been super kind. Him and his wife are, are great people. And um, yeah, yeah. It's been an awesome experience. So yes. So yes, that's, I did. That's why I that's why I asked. I wanted to see if you could tell us something about Mick Mars that we don't know because <laughs> as, probably as, not because it, you probably know that already. Well, I I didn't know about the collection thing. So what does he collect? Um, he has some uh, interesting weapons, and he is uh, weapons. He has a cannon, uh, an antique. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I All love right. I love cannons. Right. I, I think the development of those, like the old ship cannons and cannons that they use to defend. For, I'm a history nut. I, I love history. Well, you go back in time, the castles and turrets, yeah. the whole, all of that shit. Yeah. Is, Early technologies, yeah. that stuff interests yeah. the hell out of me. Um, well, that's adapt or die. The it's adapt or die. That's what that is. You got to right? keep up. But he has a lot of gear and a lot of interesting like pedals. And he, I mean, and he did a lot of tinkering with gear to be able to figure out that sound that he's got. Wow. And man, he is, he is a sound guru when it comes to guitar. It's, it's frightening, but so yeah, he's, yeah, he's very interesting and very awesome. And uh, yeah, it's been a real treat. I have a weird question for you. Because we could talk about Mick for five hours. Oh, yeah. This is not unrelated, but when you watched the movie The Dirt for the first time, did you learn anything? Did you actually learn anything? Because in my opinion, I didn't really, I didn't learn anything. And I thought it was like just to, oh, yeah, this is fun. Yeah, it probably went kind of like that. Uh, That probably did not happen. I didn't learn anything. 
Did you? I, you know, when mm-hmm. I saw it, I, and I don't know, personally, I relate way more to Mick, I think. And I, I don't wow, know. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know them yeah. and I, I haven't met them. And I yeah. Don't. I'm not even disrespecting anything or the movie. I'm not saying anything no. bad about anyone. It's just a warm uh, sort of uh, reaction to the movie. You know, yeah. because I enjoyed it. It was fun, but I don't know. It doesn't even matter that half of it was probably crap. But as a fan, coming from a rock fan's just full, you know, laser beam eyes, I didn't learn anything. Nothing new went into my brain. And I walked away going, I never knew. That. You know, I didn't. No, I don't, I don't think I did either. That's what I, I thought. I think- yeah. To me, uh, and I could be totally wrong. It, it it just kind of portrayed the craziness of of a coming of age group. You know, you yeah. have to remember most of the members were pretty young when this happened. Yeah, and it was a crazy time in a very crazy town. I mean, L.A. was insane at that time, yeah. and and you see the antics and the the pitfalls and this and that, and going from one thing to another. Um, learning anything? No, no. I just, I guess, I, I. I when I viewed Mick's part in that movie was more like, man, I relate a lot more to that. You know, I just yeah. kind of, kind of always been more about the music than the lifestyle. Yeah. I don't, yeah. You know, yeah. so. I, I think Motley's one of those bands that, that they've been so widely reported for so many years. It's almost impossible to learn anything. If, you're, good... if you're paying attention, like I'm an, I'm a Motley Crue geek. So I've read everything I can get my hands on. There was nothing in that movie that was a revelation to me, uh, but that's not the point. It was it was for the sake of entertainment, blah blah blah. Yeah, I course. think you're you're learning more uh, collaborating with Mick. I mean, you don't uh, get a better firsthand education than actually getting to know the man and and working with him in a creative way. Well, and maybe the book, <clears throat> the dirt, the book. You know, since it's been out for many years now, I feel like that may be another reason I just didn't really learn anything Maybe. from the movie yeah. too. And that kind of goes with what Dave was saying. The interesting thing to me is about how those guys didn't really run into each other. They kind of used their resources and those resources either were the, whatever the, the nickel rag, you know, the Mac, the, <clears throat> the loose leaf paper that everyone put ads in looking for dudes to jam with where we like this call this number if you're serious all that shit that's like an infamous whatever it is it was the same paper lars put an ad and james answered it it was the same it's a i can't remember the name of the is it the recycler probably the recycler yeah and mick mick of course the famous the famous ad loud rude aggressive guitarist loud rude aggressive and, and that that's makes awesome. that makes more sense than anything <laughs> that else. The, that's and, the best sales pitch i've ever heard right who doesn't want to jam who, who doesn't want to jam with that dude right? right loud rude aggressive i want that guy in my band well and here <laughs> no no diss no diss to to melodic rock or anything but you know i i love boston you mentioned boston and boston was kind of your band for a while yeah but when you loud, crude, rude, and I'm, you know, I'm a fucked up dude. Can you hang with me? Kind of an ad. You're not listening to Boston when you when you walk no. in, walk into that snake pit. No. That's why I love it so much. Yeah, it's, me too. No, Boston is your gateway drug. Boston is like, sure. oh, it's okay to have distortion. Yeah, now I'm gonna go party. 
Right. <laughs> well, you got to learn the rules before you can break them, and Mick right, was right, right, Mick exactly. was ready to break them already. So. Oh man, yeah, yeah, oh, so so ready. Well, I'm glad that I'm glad that you got so to help it. meet him. It's, yeah, it's you see the human side, and at, at least in my case, you know, you see icon and legend, but then you meet the human, and the human. So passes your ex, you know, far passes your expectation of how you thought he'd be. And he's just a great guy, you know what I mean? So it's, it's a real honor, you know, it's one thing to, to, you know, be associated or on a, on a project with somebody that has a name and has that notoriety and everything. And that's exciting. Right. But when it turns out that person is a really cool human being, and and you actually you know you can get to a point where you consider this person a friend yeah um, that that makes it that that's a whole different level and i'll tell you what these these guys on this project all of them are are that they're all really good humans you know they're great people um who do great things and that's that's really the awing part about it well, More the four names. or five, six names that that have come up in this conversation related to uh, the other side of Mars record, this thing, the the people involved sound like they can make records and any kind of record they would want to ever make in music. They could produce, you included, all of the the whoever's writing, whoever's recording, whoever's pressing stop, whoever's playing whatever instrument, who the hell ever is playing on it, producing it, uh, involved at all, could make and any I'll kind of song, what. any kind of record they want. It sounds like a, a music machine. Well, and your your theory is already proven. I, I mean, you look at even Jacob and Paul and, and Ray, they've done projects completely outside of their genre that are yeah. brilliant. They their, their bodies of work are, are, you know, they speak for themselves and, and yeah. Yeah, really. Yeah. This that group of people and and even Mick, if you hear like some of his guitar ideas, really could do anything. Anything and do it yeah. well. If yeah. they if they want to go that direction, then go that direction and crush it. Um Yeah, but I mean, I'm talking, you know, any kind of like heavy metal extreme oh yeah. or or complete Taylor Swift, you know, and beyond that, yeah. pop music, yeah. Americana, whatever, the the song the 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 blood is deep with the people yes, that are Barry. working on this project. So. Yeah, no Barry. no one trick ponies in that mix. Yeah, no, amazing, amazing. You got to do that, my friend. It is. I know. It really. I know. Is, it, that I is think so about cool. that a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that's that's bucket list material right there, and 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 we appreciate you being on the show and talking about it. And uh, I uh, I I enjoyed getting to know the other aspects of your career and your life as well because you are a well-rounded dude and i think uh the make mars thing is gonna is gonna put you in a certain spotlight but i think it's important that other people know about your other accomplishments and the other things that you've done as well so uh, i really appreciate the uh the the all-encompassing conversation today where can well, people I, where yeah where can people find you um you know uh, Let's see. I don't, what, I don't mean down at the bar. I mean, where where can they look? 
can they look you up and check? Well, if check he's out your lying, stuff? I, mean, <clears throat> I don't, I don't play golf, but I'll be on like the sixth hole. You yeah. Know, okay. In the cart, just rolling around. The uh, caddy. <laughs> the caddy, caddy. caddy shack. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wouldn't that have been great to be the caddy for Glenn Campbell and Alice Cooper? Right. Uh, what a job yeah. Yeah. I would have done that job. I know nothing about golf, but I would have handed him clubs all day. Sure. The wrong ones. I would have heard some good <laughs> jokes that day. Right? Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> Where can people find you online? I think I have everything but a TikTok, and that's probably going to be coming at some point. So um, Instagram, Facebook, it, it's, you know, if, if you look my name, and I know it's it's a weird spelling, but B-R-I-O-N. Right. And so, um, yeah, that's probably the best way. Um, when, as I get down the road in 24, um, we'll probably end up launching the site for BOA for okay. that project and for that record. Um, but yeah, for the time being, and I love to hear from people and, um, and, you know, Jason, you and I, we, we need to uh, play sometime. I'm ready. Just let me yeah, know. Dude. Have microphone, yeah, we'll travel. Let me know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we gotta we gotta do something. So cool. maybe you can maybe you can get Mick Mars to guest on a track. Yeah, maybe. You never know, <laughs> right? And Paul Taylor. Hey, man, I'm putting a band together. Oh, dude, get you out. guys can oh. thank me later. Oh yeah, yeah. Dave, you'll be our manager. You better start calling those guys. <laughs> <laughs> Brian's got more connects than I do, man. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Brian, thanks for being here with us today, man. We appreciate it. Yeah, you. guys. Thank you so much. I I, I appreciate you even uh, wanting to hear anything and and uh, hear about my little life. And and I just, I appreciate you immensely. I love your shows. I do. Awesome. Thanks. Um, I think you ask good stuff. I think you talk to people. And um, yeah, man, just thanks so much from, from here. Absolutely, man. Our Congratulations pleasure. on the Mick Mars record and everything else. We'll look for that album in February of 2024. February 23rd. February 23rd. 23rd. All right. Yeah, and let me tell you, when you get this thing, this is truly one of those records you can listen from the first song to the last song. Good. This is not one of those that he did where you got to skip around for your favorites. I mean, it's really one of those records. Awesome. Like, like, unbelievably proud to even have a small part on it. Yeah. You'll awesome. love it. That's amazing. Awesome. Amazing. And that's almost a lost art. I've brought this up on the show many times. Yeah. I love an album that's sequenced properly. And is it a listening experience? Not just a couple singles with a bunch of filler. And right. so, great. I'm happy to hear that. Mick Mars album coming out February of 2024. On behalf of my co-host, Jason McMaster, I'm metal Dave, along with our special guest today, Brian Gamboa on the talk louder podcast.